great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's January of 1993, and the scene is Buffalo. It is a win-or-go-home playoff game for the Bills as they play host to the Houston Oilers, and the Bills find themselves in terrible trouble, trailing 35-3 to at the half. Their starting quarterback, he's out of the game. The fans actually begin to leave the stadium, and then the unthinkable happens. The Bills... We're trailing 35 to 3 at the half. Come back, win the game, 41-38. It is considered in sports the greatest comeback of all time, like of any sport. And I think, imagine if they had quit. Imagine if they had given up. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's October 2004. The Boston Red Sox, well, they find themselves trailing three games to zero in a best-of-seven series against the powerhouse New York Yankees. (laughs) No one should be cheering at this point in the sermon. The Red Sox go on to do the unthinkable. They win four straight against the Yankees, only to go on and win four straight against the Cardinals to win the World Series. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's February 5th, 2017. Now, up until that game, no team had ever come back from more than a 10-point deficit in the Super Bowl. The Patriots found themselves trailing by 25 points in the third quarter. ESPN had actually given the Falcons a 99.7% chance to win the game. It was over, and yet it wasn't. It seems Tom Brady and the Patriots had one last breath in them to do what No one thought they could do a race, a 25-point deficit, come up with two successful back-to-back, two-point conversions, just to get the game to overtime, and then, not to mention, win the coin toss. I don't even know how you do that. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. And what I realize is that people quit all the time. You know, I've, I've been there at different points in my life. Those, those moments when despair, depression, hopelessness, discouragement, just so dominate your life and the challenges before you begin to just seem insurmountable that you're not even sure how you're going to get out of bed the next day. Well, today's story is about a man named John Mark, and I don't typically preach. I don't typically preach topical sermons. This is one of those rare exceptions. I know I said that last week, but I promise you this is the last topical sermon I'm going to preach for a very, very long time. But John Mark, he is first introduced Uh, in the book of Acts. And so what I want to do today for us is to frame this, right? 
So it's topical, yes, but we're going to look at the different verses in the Bible in which we see John Mark pop up. And, and I think we've got, by doing that, we can sketch out a really good kind of biography of his life and who he is. And the first place we see him appear is in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It says, when he, Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying And then we see again in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so our story today really begins in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. The setting is Paul is taking a missions trip with his friend Barnabas. And John Mark, who's actually, according to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, John Mark is actually cousins with Barnabas. And so they're they're on a missions trip. And in Acts 13.5, we learn this. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And I'd like to, like, for that moment, think about what they're doing, right? They're in the synagogues. They're proclaiming the word of God to the Jews, as as they should be doing, as we should be doing. Because people are dying and going to hell. And I think sometimes we just, we forget about that. I think the devil loves nothing more to come and get us so distracted on everything else going on in life that we forget about the urgency, the need to do the very thing that they're doing in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. They're they're proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming the word of God. They're telling people about Jesus, right? Right? How Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. And then he died a sacrificial death on the cross. He was buried and three days later conquered the grave. Defeated the devil. Defeated sin. That salvation is a free gift of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And true faith always involves repentance, a, a turning from our sin. And so that's what they're doing. And I can't help but think like, Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Sometimes we put such an emphasis on the evangelism that we don't even take into consideration the discipleship. Like our goal is simply, man, I want to get the guy or the gal to pray the prayer. You know, ashy is coming into my heart, right? Uh, Walk the aisle, raise the hand, boom, then I'm good to go, right? And boom, I'm on to my, my next victim. I mean, person. You don't find any type of like example like that in Scripture. But that's usually our approach. And, and then this whole aspect of discipleship, just it's like whatever, right? Um, no, like they're, they're, they're there proclaiming the word. And no doubt they're, they're telling people not just what to believe, what Christians should believe, but what it now means if I'm a Christian, right? If Jesus has truly saved me. It means I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's important. Because there are so many people today that, man, they're like, yeah, I believe that. And they're going to go to hell anyways. Like, how is that possible? We know it's possible. It's entirely possible to believe totally true things about God and yet still go to hell. You're saying, if if I believe that Jesus, like, he lived, died, was buried, resurrected, all this stuff, I still go to hell? What I'm saying is, is that factual information saves no man, right? I mean, you think about the book of James, what does he say? He says, even the demons, yeah, they believe in God. Like, Satan's problem is not theological. Like, I've heard Piper say it 
a million times, maybe not that many, but a lot, the devil thinks more true thoughts about God in a given day than you will in a lifetime. His problem is not the information that he has. His problem is that the devil, he hates God. He hates Jesus. And so they're there, right? They're doing this work. They're doing work that, honestly, every single one of us should be doing. Telling people about Jesus, yes, and making disciples. That's why it was so encouraging seeing the four of them up here today, because I tell people, you cannot effectively make disciples apart from the local church. And no doubt someone will say, no, 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 that's not true. Of course you can make disciples apart from the local church. I said, effectively make disciples. You cannot effectively make disciples apart from the local church. You know why? Say I'm discipling these two fellows up here, I can't be meeting with them, doing Bible studies, telling them about Jesus, then when we get to the parts about the church, say, oh yeah, I don't actually do that part myself, so we're going to have to skip that part. The part that talks about the love that the Father has for His bride, the church, right? And so they're there, right? And John Mark is with them, Paul, Barnabas, they got the whole team, and then something happens. We don't, we don't know for sure exactly what happened. But something happened. In Acts chapter 13, 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Once again, we don't know. We don't know why. We just know he left. So we skip ahead. To Acts chapter 15, 36 to 41. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers who are in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Verse 37, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember in Colossians 4.10, that's his cousin. So Barnabas wants to take John Mark. And we know from Acts chapter 4.36, just the... Barnabas is actually kind of his nickname. His, his actual name is Joseph. In Acts chapter 4.36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. This will be really important momentarily. So he wants to take his cousin with him. Verse 38, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I... uh, I love this story. I love most of the Bible stories. I like to sometimes close my eyes. Go ahead, you can close your eyes. Just imagine, right? Imagine this scene taking place. There's Paul. There's Barnabas. You can almost just like hear it, right? You can hear the knock on the door. Barnabas, Barnabas, it's Paul, are you there? Paul. Barnabas, it's so good to see you. Brother. You look, you look terrific. Well, thanks. I've been working out. You know, it was arm day today. 
Well, it clearly shows. But, but Barnabas, I will tell you, for, for while bodily training is of some value, <laughs> godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for both this life and the life to come. Yeah. I like that. You should send that to Timothy. <laughs> I can see him benefiting from that. Well, Barnabas, I don't know. I'm not here just to simply say hi. I don't know if you've heard. The word on the street is we're going on another mission trip. Yes, and I would love for you to come along. Okay, great. I'd love to. You know, we've got to get everyone together. We'll mm-hmm. get Silas and John Mark. And... Wait, 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 hold on a second. Did you say John Mark? Yes, my cousin. <sighs> yeah, I, I know who John Mark is, Barnabas, but I don't want him coming along with us on this trip. Why not? Barnabas, do you remember what happened back in Acts chapter 13? When we had left Paphos, when we came to the district of Pamphylia, when we stopped at the port of Perga, do you remember what happened? I do, but he's grown a lot since then. And it's been a long time. I mean, don't you believe in forgiveness? It's been two chapters. And of course I forgive, of course I forgive him. I'm just not ready to have him come along with us. Well, that, that might change things for me. Barnabas, there's, there's no need to draw a line in the sand over this issue. I want you to come. You know, I'm just trying to do what you said to do. You know, bear another one's burdens. <laughs> Go ahead and quote me. <laughs> if he can't come, then I don't think I can either. Well, that's simply not an option. I can't come with you. While the book of Acts does not record for us what immediately transpired, I can't help but wonder how John Mark may have felt upon hearing of this rejection by Paul. I imagine it might have been pretty upsetting, discouraging. And while the next story isn't recorded in Scripture, I think it's entirely plausible that the conversation may have looked or even sounded like this between John Mark and his cousin Barnabas upon hearing the news that Paul didn't want him to come. Barnabas, did did you talk to Paul? Yes, I did. What did he say? Well, I talked to him and I told him you wanted to come with me. And I wanted you to come too, but he said no. I'm sorry, John Mark. Because of what happened last time? Yes. No, I get it. I, uh, I bailed on you guys, and I really messed it up, and I have no one to blame but myself. No, listen, I, you've grown a ton since then, and I, I told him that. Why doesn't he want me to come? I don't know. Well, I do know you've grown, and I've seen it. Listen, I've been thinking and praying, and, well, Paul is taking Silas on a trip. I, I think that God's leading me to take my own trip, and I want you to come with me. What? I want you to come with me. There's, there's work to be done. <laughs> you don't want me to come, Barnabas. Yes, I do. 
Barnabas, like, why would you want me to come? Like, not even Paul wants me to come. And for good reason, because of what happened in Acts 13. And I know, I've got no one to blame but myself. But to be honest, if I come with you, I'm just going to mess everything up again. I'm going to mess everything up. No doubt, I'll probably fail, ruin it again. Because let's face it. I'm Mr. Unreliable. I'm Mr. Drop the Ball. I'm Mr. Ruin it for everyone. I'm Mr. You're going to go, I'm going to go to Cyprus. Now you have a decision to make. Do you want to come with me or not? Barnabas, I don't understand this. Like, why would you want me to come? Like, why does it even matter in the first place? Because I believe that God's calling you to come with me. Now, listen, I know that, that Paul said no, but that doesn't mean you're done. I don't think you're done yet, and God's not done with you. Will you come with me? Yeah, I'll come. When I think of this story, when I think of this story, I think about how hard it may have been for John Mark. Think about how hard it might have been. Like, here's the Apostle Paul. He doesn't want you to come. And you know, he has a good reason, right? It's because you dropped the ball. Like, you messed up so royally big. And I think how hard that may have been for him. I think about the discouraging thoughts. You know the kind. The depressing thoughts. The temptation to quit, to give up, to give in. The very thoughts some of you have even faced in the last week or last month in your own life. Those feelings sometimes where I'm worthless. Or that I don't have any value. I thought I'm never going to amount to anything. See, there, there are moments in our life when I think, if we're being honest, we all need a Barnabas in our life to help us during those times, right? No, no wonder he's referred to in Acts 4 as the son of encouragement. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Like, maybe right now you are finding yourself in a situation where, quite frankly, it feels like nothing's going right. Like, in that relationship that you don't have, or that class that, man, it doesn't matter how hard I study, or that job, or whatever family dynamic, or you're praying for this family member, right? And you're praying, you're praying, and it just seems like your prayers are falling into thin air. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going, Christian. You know, people say, what happened to John Mark? Did he make his great comeback? 58 AD, the Apostle Peter is about to be executed. Before he's executed, Church history tells us a young man who he had been mentoring, a young man whom he had been discipling, came to visit him in prison. And while he was there, 
He gave this young man his own eyewitness gospel account, at which point you may reason that there is no gospel according to Peter. And you'd be right that there is no gospel according to Peter. Rather, you may know it for the 16 chapters that make up another gospel, the gospel according to Mark. That's the same man we've been talking about. The gospel according to Mark, the 16 chapters, it's believed that that is Peter's gospel. And this is the same John Mark that is at the center of this entire story. And you think about what may have happened, right? If you imagine what may have happened, if he had quit, if he had just given up, I'm done with this, right? Man, I've been, I've been trying to like learn and, and follow Christ and this whole church thing or this prayer thing or this Bible reading thing or whatever, right? At the very least, I think it's fair to say we would have had one less gospel. What about, uh, what about Paul? What about Paul and John Mark? What about their severed relationship? Did they ever work things out? Well, you fast forward a few years to 63 AD approximately. Paul is in prison. Again, story of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He writes this, 2 Timothy 4.11. Timothy, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. You know who he is. This is John Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. He's very useful to me for ministry. Yeah, imagine if he would have quit. Christian, keep going. Keep pushing forward. Don't quit. Look to Jesus. But let me be very clear. This is not a message of positive thinking. Because if your confidence for a brighter tomorrow is based on yourself, then all of this is just a secular message. I could go and you could hear it in any synagogue. If your confidence for a brighter tomorrow is based simply on yourself, and you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, then this is just a secular message. Nice little self-help thing, right? You can watch on any type of like YouTube video, I'm sure. Furthermore, in those moments of despair, in those moments of discouragement, what I've come to understand is when we give into those moments, it's not just about giving up. I say, don't give up, don't, don't give in, don't quit, whatever, right? It's also saying in those moments that, God, you're not enough or that you're not able. Changes your perspective a little bit. In those bleak moments, right? And I, I get it, right? I'm not trying to make light of them. I'm trying to make light of discouragement or depression or anything like that. But it's more than just giving up. It's also saying that, God, you're somehow not enough or that you're not able to get me through this. Christian, if your confidence is based on yourself, is it? Is your confidence based on yourself or is it based on God, who, as Paul would say, will supply every need... Every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, that we might all say with the Apostle Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This isn't a message of positive thinking. This is not a message of self-help. It's a message that says you do and you give everything you've got. And you do everything you can. And when God brings you through, you say, if it wasn't for you, God, I would have failed or given up a long time ago. You see, Christian, we can do this because of the promises of God. Promises like Isaiah chapter 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has has purposed, and, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one's turning back his hand. Promises like Job 42.2 that says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's your God. That's our God. And so God... He sustains and He gives empowering grace in the life of the believers, in the life of John Mark. And one of the ways He seems to do this is in the life of His friend and His cousin, Barnabas. Man, I've said it already, but we we really all need Barnabas in our lives. Because it's not about if such moments will come. It's really about when they come. And this is one of the reasons God created the church that we might, as Barnabas, remind us to bear one another's burdens. And so I'm thankful God created the church. But unfortunately, people usually take the church for granted. And then when, uh, when life is turned upside down, well, then they're scrambling. It's usually when I get most of my phone calls. Um, when life's turned upside down because, well, such individuals, such people, they've, they've never built meaningful relationships. They've never committed themselves in Christian love. They've never joined on mission with the people of God. They've spent their time church hopping and watching the occasional online sermons telling themselves that somehow it's just good enough. And I'm so thankful that God made the church and gave us Barnabas-like people to help bear our burdens in those deepest, darkest moments And yet in this story, I see even more. In this story, I I see Satan trying to rip it apart. You think about the disagreement. I wonder what that was like, right? I don't know if we got it right, but I wonder, right? What was was that like? Spiritual spiritual warfare? Yeah, yeah, probably. Satan trying to to rip, rip this apart? This disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and then I, I see God and His sovereignty shining through the darkness. And we see God meaning for good what Satan no doubt meant for evil. We say we do? Oh, you, you betcha we do. Because at the end of the story, do you see what took place? We, we've got two mission trips happening instead of one. Like, at the end of the day, the missionary output is effectively doubled. How does that happen, God? That's how it happens. And so I say again, 
Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. So don't quit. Keep going. That at the end of our lives, we might join with the Apostle Paul as well as so many other saints in saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Not because, not because Paul is the Christian of the year or that John Mark is some type of perfect guy or because you're just so tenacious or you're so intelligent or call it your American determinism. I just, you know, pull myself up with my bootstraps, right? I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to white-knuckle through it. No, no, but because of Him that we can say that. Because of who He is. He is magnificent, and He is glorious, and He is generous, and He is benevolent. That is our God, and that's the God here in the story for us. That's why we can say, great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. And that's just as true today for John Mark as it is for any brother or sister united by our common faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we, we know the one who holds our life in his hand. He does, right? Proverbs 21.1 says that about the king's heart. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. The Lord turns it wherever he wills. And if that's true about the king's heart, man, it's got to be true about my heart, right? He governs all things. And that's really good news for hurting Christians for weakened Christians. Maybe you just, and you're spiritually battered and bruised. Like on the outside today, you, you're feeling, you look fine, but like you are just spiritually all bruised up and to come in here like, this is the best thing I can tell you. I can say, keep going, don't quit. Keep persevering, Christian. Keep running toward Jesus. Not because of who you are, because of who He is. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. So don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the story today. We thank you for the story of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark Lord, I, I'm very grateful for the Barnabas-like people you put in our lives, but Lord, I pray also that we would strive to be those sorts of people and that we would strive within the context of the local church so that we can also say we do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Lord, I pray for, for the Lone Ranger Christians, which is probably all of us at one point in our life, Lord, that, that we would see the, not just the love that Barnabas has for John Mark and, and people in general, Lord, but that we would see it appropriately as you have it designed within that framework of the church, the local church, which is this beautiful, visible expression of the global church. Jesus, we love you. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of everything, God. And I pray that you would encourage hearts today and that people would look to you 
We pray this in your name. Amen.